Welcome to 52 Episodes to Science Fiction Film Literacy. My name is Chris Garcia. Roll sound. One thing that I wanted to do with this series was establish the importance of the educational film to the history of science fiction film. And it's actually got a huge impact for a bunch of different reasons. One, science is an important part of science fiction. And by having that aspect represented is really important. But the second part is really the explosion of educational film and television really led to the increasing number of science fiction authors, filmmakers, and all sorts of different things over the 19, late 50s into the 60s and certainly into the 70s. And what's fascinating is probably the best educational films were made by Disney. And they made a bunch for classroom use, of course, but really it was the Tomorrowland series as a part of Disneyland, their ABC program, that really started to change everything. And one of the reasons for that was the Man in Space series. And this is a three-episode series over a couple of years, uh, mostly, I believe, directed by Ward Kimball, that the first one dealt with going into space, uh, going to the moon, and the last one is the one I'm talking about, Mars and Beyond, is easily Disney's best, period. I consider this to be equal to any of their animated features for a very different reason. And one is there's so much animation in it. It's not entirely animated, but it's largely animated. And it presents not just the ideas of what it takes to get us into Mars, onto, I guess, but what it will take to get us moving towards that goal. And the animation of potential life that could be found on Mars is great. It's really just fascinating what sort of conjectures they have about creatures with these giant folding and rolling and unrolling wings and weird plants and all these other sort of concepts. But that's not the important part of this series or episode of television. Remember, this is a television episode. And I'll explain why this matters to film history in a second. It matters to science fiction history because of a segment in which they discuss pulp science fiction, more or less, or the magazine science fiction that was out at the time. And it is a brutal, kind of an anti-patriarchy send-up of what's going on in science fiction stories at the time. And it's, it's brilliant. It really is. I mean, if, if they had stamped, sorry, Robert Heinlein, it would have really made sense. Basically... The idea is that there's this great thinking scientist who spends his entire time just thinking while his secretary goes out and is kidnapped and taken to Mars, has these adventures and is chased and shot at and eventually overcomes the evil and gets back to her job. And the scientist says, there's no evidence for there being life on Mars. Then he's obliterated by an alien from Mars. It's brutal as to how perfectly it sends up the science fiction of the 50s. And the animation style is amazing. And you can see the influence of that style on years and years and years. Anyone who remembers the No Neck Joe series of short films that were favorites on the Spike and Mike Festival of Animation, that's 
really what this is about. If you look at that, it, it's so obvious how influential that art style is. Of course, this is directed by Ward Kimball, one of the old men that Disney leaned on, and his fingerprints are all over this, particularly in the design of the theoretical Martians. Why this is important is on a couple of different levels. One is that it is a film. I, I want to call it a film because it really, it functions as a film, and I believe it was released in theaters, at least a cut of it was. But it relays science information, and there are actually scientists in... Uh, Werner von Braun shows up, and he was the advisor to all the Man in Space series. Two, it really worked to give people this view of science as not so much as this sort of stuffy thing, though I have to admit, listening to the scientist who they pick, he sounds like the stuffiest human who ever lived. <laughs> but the explosion, I guess, the best way to put it, of content that we get is so good and at the same time it's giving off this sense of wonder it's not so much about the the power of the the science as it is science is a wonderful magical thing and that whole speculative section of what martian life might look like is science fiction like at its core it is something that even wells and verne would have instantly recognized as science fiction, though they never would have called it science fiction, they would have called it science romance or scientific fantasy or something like that. But it's so evident and so pointed and so powerful, and it works in every dimension. Now, what's really fascinating about the influence of this, one, having Werner von Braun presenting this gave it a sense of gravitas. Two, this was shown on TV. And at that point, when you only had the three networks, everything that gets on TV carried incredible importance. And Disneyland was one of the top shows in the world at that point. So there's a lot of people who give our entry into space, who give the Man in Space series, and in particular, man on, the first Man on the Moon, or whatever they called it, I believe it was the second one, a big push as the most important aspect as to what got the public really interested in space exploration. I, I can see that argument. Of course, this featured the voice of the guy who may be the patron saint of 52 episodes to science fiction film literacy, Paul Fries. His lovely baritone, maybe it's bass, definitely all over this. And why not? And he's, you know, at this point he was everywhere. Of course, he showed up in the thing from another world. Uh, he's all over the place, and his voice is so authoritative. And that, I think, is also one of the reasons why this series worked so well, was that you have this sense of authority to it. Freeze's voice, the presence of Werner von Braun, uh, the literally top-end imagery in Disney. And when you combine all of that, you really get this authoritative concept that's, that's really powerful and difficult to defeat, really, if you think about it. The direct influence of this is not only in the animation style, not only in the context, but in the content. And there was a huge Martian sort of push in the early 60s in particular. And Mars as a sort of target of science fiction dates back to Wells, really. But it sort of took over. And we've seen so many great treatments of Mars. This is sort of a far out one. At this point, we knew what 
that Mars wasn't quite as robust a planet to hold this sort of life. But we sort of had these questions of what, well, we know it's probably not a fertile planet of X, Y, and Z, but we did know that it was likely somewhat Earth-like-ish. We, we sort of thought that, but we knew that it wasn't quite true. They definitely did sort of push along the boundaries of reality at that point. But what happened is, to, in response to stories like Mars and Beyond, which, while yet a documentary, still, still is a piece of entertainment. But as a response to that, we saw, started to see a lot of people write Mars in a more serious light, or taking it as their topic, and giving it a more important sense of reality. The best example of this happened, I think, in the 90s, was Kim Stanley Robinson's uh, Red, Blue, and Green Mars series. Really, really impressive stuff. And Robinson definitely would have been about the right age to have experienced this in the first run. Disney as a creator, not just Walt Disney, but the whole company, really changed science fiction without going into that realm directly too often. And things like From Mars and Beyond, the entire Man in Space series, the Your Friend the Atom, a lot of their short films, yeah, they went into that direction, but they weren't really pushing it as their sort of reason d'etre. I love saying that. But they were giving us these small snippets. And the weird thing is when they went full science fiction, it actually got kind of weak. Well, that's all for today. Tomorrow, Robot Monster.